key to unity. King David has been restored at this point as the king of Israel, and he has started to manage what has been restored to him. That's what we talked about last week, that he was managing what had been restored, and we paralleled that with the truth that God has restored us to our rightful position, to our, our position as people who walk in the authority of God on this earth. And we need to not just accept the fact that we've been restored, but we need to manage what has been restored. Well, King David came humbly and he waited on the people receiving him rather than just pushing his way in. He was showing kindness to the very people that betrayed him. If you remember in the story, um, the very people of Israel turned their back on him, and they started following his son. Who remembers what his son's name was? Absalom. He started, the, good, they started following Absalom, and, and David, instead of just pushing his way back in, he showed kindness, and he humbly came, and they received him. Well, in the midst of this, an argument rose up. I know y'all don't, y'all don't argue, because we're all church people, and we're all holy, and we're all righteous, but if you haven't been to church or if you have been in church, maybe you can say amen to this. Church, there's arguments. <laughs> All these arguments. Well, an argument busted up in the middle of King David coming back in. And we talked about last week how this very argument would lead to the division of the nation of Israel into two. So I want to give a little recap before I get into chapter 20. I'm going to read the last three verses of chapter 19. It says in 2 Samuel 19, 41, it says, But all the men of Israel complained to the king. The men of Judah stole the king and didn't give us the honor of helping take you, your household, and all your men across the Jordan. There are always going to be people jealous of your breakthrough. There's always going to be someone jealous when you get a little head or you break through something or you come into a new season of your life, someone is going to complain about it. There will always be times when people say, or, or even you say, well, why, well, why can't I get this, or don't I deserve this, or they don't deserve that, or how come they got to do this? I think Christians do that a lot of time to non-believers. Well, I believe in God, and I see all these people who don't believe get ahead. Why is God blessing them? Because God's laws work whether you believe in him or not. We don't want to hear that. But when a king decrees something, it's decreed and it is a law. Sowing and reaping works whether or not you're a Christian or not. You sow, you reap. It's a law. What God calls us to do is sow and reap things that will benefit him and not us. That's a differentiator. So y'all are already quiet. <laughs> but it's truth. There's always people going to be complaining about someone getting ahead. The next verse. The men of Judah replied, The king is one of our own kinsmen. Why should this make you angry? We haven't eaten any of the king's food or received any special favors. They said, all we did was receive them. We didn't get any more. We didn't get any less. We just received them. Verse 43. But there are ten tribes in Israel. The others replied. So we've got ten times as much right to the king as you do. <laughs> Christians. Well, we got ten times as much right to get this and that because we come to church once a week and we praise God and I read my Bible and how come I can't get this and why did they get that and how come I keep giving up this? Look at it again. 
we've got ten times as much right as the king as you do. What right do you have to treat us with such contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing him back to be our king again? The argument continued back and forth, and the men of Judah spoke even more harshly than the men of Israel. This is what we tend to do. We argue over who gets what, who deserves more. Well, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Why should they get that? They've only known God for two days, and they're already going through breakthroughs. I'm not going to take a side on it because I'm not sure what's right or not because I don't know the person, but Christians always like to judge what's going on with Kanye West instead of praising God for the fact that maybe he really has been converted. Amen. Well, they've only known the Lord for so-and-so. They ain't got no right to sing. Disciples knew the Lord for two days, and he called them to be fishers of men. Shut up. I'm getting honorary tonight. Ten tribes in Israel, we get more. In the parable of the vineyard worker, there's the same circumstances. Check this out in Matthew 20, verse 11. It says, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and you paid them just as much as you paid us for a hard day's work in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money, go. I, want, I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. It's, is, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Stop being concerned with what they got and start rejoicing in what you have. And the problem with the church and the divide is we are so quick to pick apart moves of God and we try to find what's wrong with it than just giving God praise that he's getting some sort of glory, whether or not it's legit or not. This is one of my biggest hang-ups. Just being real. And I've come to realize that when I was preparing for this message. When, when things are moving in the church, you can ask anyone that knows me. I'm the first one to start saying, well, I don't know about this and that. And, you know, that, that, that worship team, they're making all this money and they can't be doing this for God because they're getting this. Let God bless them. I'm always quick to pick apart revivals because we use the word revival loosely. And I see moves of God, and, and I, I'm the first one. Well, a revival ain't an event, and they don't need to call it a revival because it's only a two-day event. And God's like, Kyle, would you shut your mouth and just go praise my name? <laughs> but isn't that what we do? We are so quick to be jealous of other people's blessings, other churches' blessings. Baptists talk bad about Pentecostals because they just too wild. And Pentecostals talk bad about Baptists because they might be too tight. And the fact of the matter is, I can see greatness in both denominations, and they both save, and they both love Jesus, and Pentecostals aren't better because they speak in tongues, and Baptists are not less because they don't. And if you don't like it, get out because I don't care. I can see traditional churches who do great in order and spirit-filled churches who look like they love poverty. Yeah, y'all don't like truth. We are so quick to pull apart each other, but we have got to understand that our focus and our heart has got to be unity. 
What if we could become so ununified that the divide in belief would break down because love would translate all the disbelief into one common belief? Like, we are so quick to push apart. Well, you don't believe this, and you got this wrong, and you got this right. What if we could just unify as lovers of God? If we did that, all of the false doctrine would fall because it could not breathe in unity. But we're so quick to pick apart everything. And a lot of it's because we're jealous of the move going on. And that's what's going on right here. The king's been restored. The kingdom's back. And you've got Judah who brought him in. And you've got the rest of the ten tribes going, well, we got ten times as right to be with him. Well, why can't we walk him in? Why can't we get that glory? And then Judah starts getting even madder, and they start talking harshly about the ten tribes. The end of the verse in Matthew says, those who are last will be first, those who are first will be last. Key to keeping unity, realize you don't deserve what you think you're due. We are so quick to say, I deserve this and I deserve that. Truth is, we don't deserve anything, and we got grace that Jesus died for us on the cross. And if that's all I'll ever get, I'm good with that. And that's where we have got to be. And if you get it last, rest assured, there's a first in store. But being first is not what you expect. Because we, y'all with me? We read that verse. Those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. It is not about rank. Because the problem is what we do is we think, well, if I want to get first, I need to be last. And what the church has done is they've embraced less than. And they've embraced poverty because if we're last, we'll be first. Then on the other side, we try to get to last because we want the rank of being ahead. Well, if that were the case, people would use last being first as an excuse to be unproductive. When the Bible says be fruitful in all things. So if the Bible tells us to be fruitful, how is it that we can be last with the promise of being first? The last who are first are the people who take more joy in others going ahead than having an attitude of what's due to us. As your pastor, I am more concerned with seeing you do greater than I ever have to becoming better than I have. Jesus did the same thing. He leaves and says, disciples, you will do more works than I did here. He says, you will do greater things than I. Jesus was the greatest example of what last meaning first is. He says, I'm going to leave so that you can be, bring more glory to my Father. We don't like to think of it in those terms. But he's setting the mark. He says, if you embrace last, you'll be first. What does it mean to be first? Being first is being the most available to do whatever God would have us do. So we have to be in the continual position of, I am humble to you. I am a servant to you. This was the problem with the divide with the tribes. The ten tribes should have said, praise God, you brought the king back in. But all they could do is say, well, why didn't we get a chance? 
Why didn't we get to walk? Why didn't we? Why didn't we? Why didn't I? I deserve this. I deserve that. Stop being concerned with what you deserve and stop being and start being more concerned about the victory of everyone you're jealous of. And praise God when he gets glory of it. I, I have a picture up there. Josh, if you could throw it up there real quick. I want to show you something. This is a picture of Israel. For those of you that might not know where it is, is the connector between Egypt and Africa and the continent of Asia. There are 12 tribes. If you see the different colors, those are all the different tribes of Israel. You following? There's an argument going on between the 10 tribes and Judah. You all see where Judah is? This big orange thing in the bottom. I want you to pay attention to that in a minute. I'm going to read a scripture, but Josh, don't throw it up there. Just keep that, keep that up there. We are so obsessed with who's better and what's good and what's not. I have heard and seen more arguments about Republicans versus Democrats and who's a Christian and who ain't. Let me just break the argument for you. Republicans are believers. Democrats are believers. If you don't like it, I don't care. Because you're arguing about stuff that is the very thing that divided this nation. We are the United States of a divided America. Because you got Republicans over here, and you got Christians who are throwing whatever's at Democrats because they got certain beliefs. Then you got Democrats looking down at Republicans because they got certain beliefs. And Jesus is like, how about y'all throw all that away and just pursue me? Look at Ephesians 4. Don't, don't, don't throw it up there, Josh. As a prisoner of the Lord, I pleaded with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank given you in your divine calling. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. You know what the key to unity is? We cannot create unity. That verse says, guard the unity. It is not our job to unify the church. It is our job, job to guard what he has already unified. And when we start hearing political agenda and beliefs, our human nature, the very first thing we do is we can figure out how do I show that I'm better than you in my belief system? How can I show that I'm better than you in what I give my allegiance to? And Ephesians tell, gives us a command. Guard the unity. So if you're a Republican and you've got issues with a Democrat, are you guarding the unity or are you looking at a way to cause more divide? If you're a Democrat, are you looking? I don't even know what I'm talking about, Republican, Democrat. If, 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 you're a Dem, if you're a Democrat, are you looking at a way to show that you're better than a Republican? Or are you trying to guard what's been unified? We tend to side on all these beliefs and political agenda, and we have not kept at the forefront of our mind how can we keep what Christ 
unified. He unified the church by pouring his blood out on all. So guard it by what? Tender humility, quiet patience, gentleness, generous love, especially toward those who try your patience. Guard the sweet harmony of the Spirit. If it will cause a divide, don't. We all, we all pray the same stuff. God, would you unify the church? And God's like, done. Now guard it. I unified it on the cross. But you have not kept what I have made one. I have made you one body. Start guarding it. But what we do is when we see others advance, we pick it apart. And we say, I get this, why do they get that? Instead of guarding what's been unified and support the move of God. Is this talking to anyone? I know I'm stepping on your toes, but it's what I do. So in the midst of arguing, up pops a man named Sheba. And we come to 2 Samuel 20, verse 1. There happened to be a troublemaker there named Sheba. You can put up the verse, Josh. Son of Bickery, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Sheba blew a ram's horn and began to chant. Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel. Back to your home. In the midst of conflict, there will always be someone who will try to take advantage of the weakened state of unity to gain glory for themselves. Always. So stop being surprised when there's conflict that someone is going to try to create divide and start guarding what's been unified. The Bible gives spoiler alerts all over Scripture. There will always be someone that is going to try to create divide. Now, Joshua, if you would, throw that picture back up there of Israel. Sheba, the troublemaker, is from the tribe of Benjamin. Can you all see where Benjamin is on this map? It's that little blue tribe right smack dab in the middle. And a man from the smallest tribe causes a rebellion for all the other ten to go against Judah. A tribe that seemingly had no significance, he creates this rebellion that eventually will divide the nation. There is always going to be, try to, there is always going to be someone trying to get you to take sides. And most of the time, it's someone that probably has no significance in your mind. Well, they have good intentions. They don't mean any harm. One of the biggest things that we come up against is deception. And you know how deception works? People are doing things that they think are justified and right. Here's the thing with Sheba. He, he was finding out 
He said, I got all these ten tribes, and you people didn't give us our honor. So we don't want nothing to do with David. He thought that he was doing a good thing. That's the problem with deception. They justify a wrong thing. Your goal is to always do what? Keep and guard unity. Sheba didn't want unity. He wanted the honor that the ten tribes were due. And there are three things that Sheba does right off the bat in verse 1 to gain support to divide and lead this rebellion. And I believe if we can point out these three things, it will give you three things that everyone always uses to try to create rebellion. Throw up verse 1 again, Josh. It says, There happened to be a troublemaker there named Sheba, son of Bichri, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Sheba blew a ram's horn and began to chant. Look at the chant. Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel. Back to your homes. Lead that up. Number one, he dishonors the God-given position. Notice he doesn't say down with the dynasty of King David. What is he calling? David. People will cause divide by always dishonoring leadership. Well, you don't know what Kyle says when he ain't in the pulpit. I'm sick and tired of Trump. That's President Trump to you. And let me just get real. The Bible says that every leader is God-ordained. So until God replaces him, you, you, might, you can disagree all you want, but you are never allowed to dishonor leadership. And if we're going to guard unity, the next time I hear someone talk bad about my president, I'm going to put you on the spot and talk about how you were causing divide in the church. Because you think you're justified. <laughs> he didn't refer to him as king. He dishonored the position. People in rebellion will always dishonor a position. Then look what he does next. He brings out David's pre previous identity. He doesn't talk about the royal king David. He says, David, son of Jesse. He, he ain't no king. He's the son of a farmer. He's a dirty shepherd. Look at the third thing he does. Men of Israel, go back to your homes. He doesn't even put focus on, on who David was. He draws attention to what they had. One. Honor leadership and position despite your opinion. Two, receive who they are and not where they have been. The first thing Sheba does, he dishonors the position, and then he says, David, farm boy. And a lot of times we don't receive people because all we're focused on is their past and where they've messed up instead of who they are and who their identity is in Christ. If I'm going to be honest with you, if I regarded everyone in their past, no one in here will be able to serve in any respect at Relentless. If you regarded me in my past, I sure as heck would not be able to serve as your pastor at Relentless. But we don't regard people by their past. We regard them by who they are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus calls us restore and whole and unto righteousness. So what am I supposed to do? My job is to guard what? 
So if I'm going to guard unity, I'm not going to regard Ryan as the Ryan I knew of yesterday. I'm going to regard him as a man of God despite how many times I see him mess up. Over and over. And over. And... <laughs> You cannot, you got to regard them by the spirit. Not by their flesh, not by their soul, by who they really and truly are. Jesus called Simon Peter because he was not going to regard him as a man wavering in the wind like a reed. He said, whether or not you know it or not, you are a rock. So I'm going to treat you like the rock you are until you become the rock. You know how we keep unity in the church? Stop talking bad about what they did, about how they messed up. Stop dishonoring them because you know what they are? They're royalty. We're sons and daughters of the king. Every one of us are royalty. Stop dishonoring royalty and start keeping unity by regarding each other who we are, not where we've been. This is all right. Focus, three, focus on the need rather than what is yours and what is due to you. Look what he says. Come on, men of Israel, get back to your homes. He was trying to shift their focus from the fact that the king is coming back into the kingdom to what about your stuff? What about what you need to be concerned with of yours? And that's what we do in church. Well, I ain't got time for church because I need to worry about my house. Your house is being affected by being divided from the body you're created to be unified with. Well, I'm going to worry about my job. I don't have time to worry about the church. When the church, the body of believers, is going to give you the tools of how to succeed in your job when you hate what you're doing. Because anyone that goes, has a job in the secular world, which is everyone in here to my knowledge, there's going to be times when you hate what you do and you hate who you work with and you hate who you work for. But what is our job? Keep the... So how do you keep unity? You've got to regard your boss who you want to stab in the gut with a knife as royalty. Whether they're saved or not. Because my God still regards them as, that's my son. They just have not returned. That's my daughter. She just has not come home. <laughs> but what we, we dishonor position. We focus on who they were, not who they are, not who they can be. And we focus on all of our needs we aren't keeping unity. And let's say that these ten tribes of, of Judah that, she, that Sheba gets to come up against, let's say they're wrong for being jealous, it was also wrong for Judah to speak harshly against them because injustice should never be corrected by a deeper wrong. But for some reason, that's what the church has become great at. We think when we see an injustice... We try to correct it with a deeper wrong. We see an injustice and we speak against people. I can't believe that they do this and they passed this law and they did that and they did that. 
You do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Stop speaking bad about the people who started Planned Parenthood and start speaking against the demons and spirits that caused them to do it. Stop rebuking doctors in abortion clinics and start rebuking the spirits that had that territorial authority. Hey, y'all don't want to hear this stuff. The Bible says don't fight against flesh and blood and that's all we do because we're not trying to keep. And there is more divide in this world when the one thing Jesus did, he said, I have come to unify my body. There's a such thing as territorial spirits. You ever notice when when Jesus commanded the demons out of, uh, 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 of the man, he begged, he said, don't make us leave the region. Didn't care about the man. Demons don't care about the person. Stop watching scary movies and thinking they're teaching you deep theology on demons. The Bible says that the enemy walks around as an angel of light. He ain't going to look scary. He's going to look beautiful. He's going to look like a good idea. You ever notice that in certain areas of the United States or the world, there are certain sins that run rampant? You go to certain parts of Europe and there's huge sexual sin. You go to the U.S. and Savannah right now, there's cults and homosexuality. It's the biggest ones right now. You go to Effingham and most people refer to it as Methingham. Why? It's ter territories. <laughs> territories. Keep the unity. Stop fighting against the wrong thing. I can't believe I just said that in front of the kids. So, <laughs> sorry, parents, just deal with it. Second Samuel twenty verse two. <laughs> so, oh Lord, I'm losing church members. <laughs> so all the men of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed with their king and escorted him from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. Maybe Judah was wrong for speaking harshly, but they did one thing right. They remained loyal to their king. And I wonder how many of us are truly loyal to King Jesus in the midst of every situation. How many of us remain loyal in spite of mocking? How many of us remain loyal in spite of the rebellion of flesh, in spite of the rebellion of our mind? We have got to start keeping what has been unified and say, no matter what, I'm staying loyal to my king. He has told me to be humble. He has told me to be a servant to all. He has commanded me to produce good fruit. Jesus has spoken over me that I will do greater works than him. So stop questioning who you are and, stop walk, and start walking in your true identity. Think about Moses. Dude was an outlaw that had a warrant out for his arrest. And when the people said, God, help us, God, help us, 
God goes to a stuttering outlaw and says, go back to the man who wants to arrest you and free my people. And Moses, Moses is like, I can't even talk. And you want me to speak to the man that wants to arrest me? But we do the same. How loyal are you to your king when he puts a demand on you, but you regard yourself in who you've been and maybe even who you are and not what he sees you as? Let me just tell you something. You are worthy. And it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what the banner he has placed over you. He has put a new identity on you. So start walking in the new identity and stop making excuses about, well, I'm just not there yet. Yes, you are. Walk in it. And you know why people don't walk in it? Because we don't keep unity. We still regard them in the past. And we still find reasons as to why we should be divided. Look at verse 3. When David came to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to look after the palace and placed them in seclusion. Their needs were provided for, but, they, but he no longer slept with them, so each of them lived like a widow until she died. Let me give you a little context so to make sure we remember. When David's son Absalom started the rebellion, he fulfilled a prophecy given to David. He got on the very same roof that David fell when he slept with Bathsheba. And his son took his father's ten concubines and slept with them on the roof in public. Let's read that again. When David came to his palace in Jerusalem, he took those ten concubines he left to look after the palace and he placed them in seclusion. Their needs were provided for, but he no longer slept with them. So each of them lived like a widow until she died. David couldn't divorce them, and he couldn't punish them because they aren't the ones who did anything wrong. They were defiled by Absalom, and they couldn't be taken off. They couldn't be married. And oftentimes, we are so affected by the sins of others. Absalom's obsession with self defiled these women for the rest of their lives. And part of our call to guard and keep unity is to not let the sins of others put an identity on you. Stop letting the sins of others put an identity on you. No matter what your father did, it does not define you. No matter what that woman did, no matter what that man did, it does not define you. No matter how many times you've been backstabbed, no matter how many times people have turned, it does not defile you. You are not, to, you are not meant to live the rest of your lives in the status of a concubine. In seclusion, not doing anything, because of the sins of others. To guard the unity in the church, we have got to start speaking life into those people who are in a stalemate. 
because there are so many people in so many churches who are lost in crowds and they come get the word and they come listen to sermons and they come worship a little bit but they're not walking in anything they're supposed to walk in because for some reason they are identifying themselves in someone else's fault. So what is our job to do? Keep what? Unity. But there's so many times we turn a blind eye to it, we walk away, we don't speak into it, and a lot of times we don't speak into it because you yourself think you're not worthy and you're defiled when my God has called you worthy. You're worthy to speak into it. You're worthy to speak into it. You are worthy to encourage someone. You, are wor you have been made unto right standing with the Father. God, unify your church. Unify Savannah. He's, no, no, no. He says, you've got it wrong. I've unified it. Now you've got to guard it. You've got to bring it back. We always wonder about what our call is as a church of, of, of Jesus. We always wonder about what our call is as kingdom ambassadors of heaven. Guard what has already been done. Keep it. Humble yourself. Treat with gentleness. Can I just say something? Like I need your permission. <laughs> if someone offends you, your job is not to tell them how wrong they are. Your job is to do what? Keep. When someone offends you, bless them. Serve them. Wash their flipping feet. Stop trying to get on top. Well, you did this and you call yourself. Shut up and serve. Guard unity. That's why there's no such thing anymore as a united church. Because we're so quick. Well, look at what they did and they got this and they don't deserve that because you don't know their story and you don't know this. and that. You're acting just like Sheba. A nobody from a small region who causes a rebellion against a good thing. What's the good thing? It's the restoration of the kingdom. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, I have restored everything lost. I want my Father's kingdom to come on earth as is in heaven. Stop waiting to get to heaven and start guarding what I've given you. I've given you heaven right now. And you're worried about what they got? You're worried about how they're ahead? You're worried about, well, I don't deserve this. Guard the unity. We spend so much time praying over the wrong stuff. Keep the, in your household, guard the unity. Stop trying to tell your other half why they're wrong and keep the unity. I'm not saying there's never room for correction because there's always room for correction. But how do you go about it? Keeping the unity or causing a divide? We all guilty of it. Am I talking to anyone? Okay. Part of guarding unity is not to let the sins of mothers put an identity on us. And there are so many people who aren't walking in you because all they see and feel is their reality and their defilement by somebody else. 
1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. Keep unity by receiving and addressing everyone in the truth that what you are judging them by has already been healed. Well, they a drug addict. No, they healed from that. Well, they a liar. No, they're healed from that. Well, they're a backstabber. No, they're healed from that. Keep unity by regarding for what they are, not the deception they're living in. They're living as concubines. They're living in a defiled state by what God has already healed. This is either really deep or really boring. Look at verse 4, 2 Samuel 20. Well, then the king told Amasa, mobilize the army of Judah within how many days? Three days. And report back at that time. So Amasa went out to notify Judah, but it took him longer than the time he had been given. Now remember who Amasa was. Amasa was the general of David's army who betrayed David and took Absalom's side. And David showed him kindness. When David came back in the kingdom, he said, Amasa, I'm going to take Joab and demote him, and I'm going to restore you back to your position. David showed kindness and put Amasa in Joab's position as commander of David's army. And Joab is now underneath him. David knew we've got to move quickly and we cannot let this rebellion have time to grow. And Amasa takes longer than the time David gave him. How many days, he say? Three days. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Then David said to Abishai, Sheba, son of Bichri, is going to hurt us more than Absalom did. Now you remember how many chapters Absalom had. Big time. He said, this dude's going to do worse. Quick, take my troops, chase after him before he gets into a fortified town where we can't reach him. So Abishai and Joab, together with the king's bodyguard and all the mighty warriors, set out for Jerusalem to go after Sheba. David got tired of waiting and gave Amasa's orders to Abishai because he could not wait any longer. And there are so many times God moves us for the directive and we move in our time rather than his timing because we don't understand the why or how it will work out. God says, do this, and then we pray about it. God says, go here. God says, serve them. God says, bless them. You ever been in line in the grocery store and you just something in you feels like you're supposed to bless them, but you miss the opportunity because you spend more time thinking about was that God versus taking the directive? You ever been in that place where you feel like you should just bless someone with a kind word, but you never release it because you wonder, should I? We wander, we don't take steps, we don't do anything. Remember, our job is to guard the unity. He gives us a directive, and we spend so much time thinking on it and taking our time, and stuff never gets done. Proverbs 20, 24, it is the Lord who directs your life. 
Each step you take is ordained by God to bring you closer to your destiny. So much of your life then remains a mystery. Let me read that again. It is the Lord who directs your life. Each step you take is ordained by God for a reason. Every directive he gives you is to bring you closer to your destiny. That's why so much of your life remains a mystery. Maybe the, re maybe the reason your life is remaining in mystery is because you haven't taken a single directive. Because look, look at what it's saying. When God gives you a direct order, it is a step to put you into your destiny. And he says, half of you haven't seen the mystery of your destiny because you haven't taken step one, two, or three. And, and what we do is, God, show, show me your will for my life. Okay, tithe. But we don't do it because we reason God, show me my destiny. Tithe. God, please show me my destiny. What, what is it that you want me to do with my life? Bless those who persecute you. God, show me my destiny. Stop lying. God, show me my destiny. Stop gossiping. God, show me my destiny. You know what commands are? pathway to your destiny every the Lord directs your life each step you take is ordained by God to bring you into your destiny so much of your life remains a mystery because you can't take a step Matthew 5 17 says this don't misunderstand why I have come I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. If you've ever heard someone say that the laws in the Old Testament are no longer needed, this scripture just messed your theology up. No, no, no. I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Well, God gives me grace. I don't have to obey the law. Well, that's why your life is still in a mystery. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great. Our life is still in a mystery because we're still living a life out of a false grace message. Grace does not excuse your sins. It pardons your defilement. Because you don't have to live like the ten concubines. You don't have to be locked in a room with your destiny locked up and you never able to walk into your purpose. He says, I'm going to release you of those chains. 
I'm going to unlock that door. And no matter what you've done or what anyone else has done, you are no longer identified as defiled. My grace has taken that off of you. Now, if you would start walking in the laws that you've already broken by your sin, you're going to walk into your destiny because of my grace that will allow it. But this is what the grace message teaches you. God loves you, and he's going to make everything happen for you as long as you believe in Jesus. No. That's wrong. And that's why your life is still in a mystery. And David understood something. He says, we have got to take this back, and we cannot let this rebellion grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And God is trying to kill rebellion so his name can be restored through the body of Christ. But sons and daughters are still fighting about the color of a pew. Or how the preacher offended them. Or how so-and-so didn't say hello. Or how you hadn't called me. Or how you haven't checked up on me. When our only job is to keep the unity. He says, why are you locking your destiny up in the offense of someone else when I've told you that every step I ordained you to take leads you into what you cannot see? <laughs> Think about the command. David says, Amasa, get my army ready in three days. And he fails. The father says, let me show you what can happen in three days. And he sacrifices the son. he took the directive so the next time God says bless us someone who's wronged you don't take longer than you need because of your inability to accomplish the task based off a of personal offense because you're simply robbing yourself of revealed mystery if we would just become servants of all unity would be kept because now everyone has become worthy of your service. You ever hear people say stuff like that? Well, they ain't worthy of my time. Neither are you. You've been redeemed when you did not deserve it. The best way to walk into your purpose is to become a servant of all. You know what all is in the Greek and Hebrew? It's all. It's inclusive of everyone. And you know all the Ten Commandments are a part of a bigger plan to keep the unity? Think about it. No other gods. Don't make idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Unity with God. Honor your mom and dad. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Unity with the church. It's all about unity. And we're still trying to figure out how to get it. You don't get it. You keep it. How do I keep it? Obey the law. Why do I obey the law? Because it brings you into your mystery. Why do I care about my mystery? Because it's the original intent of why he created you. Is this okay? I know it's long, but I'm going to keep going. 
Amen. So Amasa fails, and Abishai is given the order. Joab is the commander of the troops on the field. Now remember who Joab is. He's the dude that killed David's son Absalom. Remember, Absalom got his hair tangled up in a tree, and Joab threw the three spears, and then the ten people came and killed him. That was Joab. Joab is the commander of the field troops. Abishai is, com is commander over him. So look at verse 8. This just shows you how ruthless, maybe even relentless, Joab is. Verse 8. As they arrived at the great stone in Gibeon, Amasa met them. Remember who Amasa is. David said, hey, get him in three days. He took too long. Joab was wearing his military tunic with a dagger strapped to his belt. And as he stepped forward to greet Amasa, he slipped the dagger from his sheath. How are you, my cousin? Joab said. And he took him by the beard with his right hand as though to kiss him. Amasa didn't notice the dagger in his left hand, and Joab stabbed him in the stomach so that his insides gushed out onto the ground. Joab didn't need to strike again, and Amasa died. Joab and his brother Abishai left him lying there and continued after Sheba. Isn't it funny? Joab greeted Amasa with a kiss and killed him. You know who else greeted someone like a kiss? Judas. And how many times we come face to face as if we are united, but our intent is selfish and not in unity with the Father. Because we'll greet each other. It's so great to see you today. And you're cussing them under your breath. You're finding, you're finding flaw in them. You're finding reasons as to why you can't be together. You're finding flaws as to why they're not worthy to get on the stage. You're finding flaw as to why they can't do this and that. You're hiding a sheath in your belt with a fake greeting. Your job is to keep the unity. Can't we be people who are so humble to our calling that we have genuine love and affection for each other despite why, do, why can't we get that? Because you're still regarding them for what they were and their fall. You know what Joab's problem is? He don't trust Amasa. Because he's like, David told you to do something, you didn't do it. So you must be a horrible person. You're rebellious. You ain't following the law. You're doing this. Isn't that what people do? Well, you're doing this. You're doing that. You got this wrong. I know what you said. I got that. In Luke 13, 6 through 9, Jesus told the story. A man planted a fig tree in the garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, cut it down. How many years did he say? Here, three years. He says, I cannot wait. I need fruit. It's been three years. I've given them a directive. Produce fruit. 
I've waited three years. They're not producing. It's time to cut the slack. And then Jesus comes and says, hold up. Give them one more year. So he dies on the cross, saves us of our, of our sin. And here's where we get it wrong. We think that we've got all the time in the world to produce fruit. But what does he ask for? He says, one more chance. Let's get something straight. God has given us some directives, and you don't have all the time in the world to decide whether or not you're going to do it or not. Because he says, what is the deal? One more year, and then you can cut it. Grace restores you, but the directive to produce does not change. And Jesus loves us so much that he says, I do not want them cut. So the Father says, one more year. And I wonder how many of us are in the season of life where we have been found not producing anything, and Jesus has bought your time, and you still think you've got one more day. You don't have time to waste. You don't have time to think about, I'm in, a, I'm in a season of transition. There's no such thing as a season of transition. You transition. We, 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 we tend to always put these false pauses on God. We always tend to kind of say, well, I've got all the time in the world because Jesus loves me. No, 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 no. Jesus knows you don't have all the time in the world, so he loved you. And he bought you. And he says, now, be fishers of men. Go and baptize them. Teach them to be my disciples. Heal the sick. And you're still waiting? The call is to produce. But we don't, we don't like that teaching. Well, I'm just in a season, God, where you don't know my story. I don't care what your story is. You're worthy. You've been made right. It's time to move forward. It's time to do something. I am sick and tired of being a part of a belief system where all we do is sit and pray that Jesus comes back because this world is so bad. That's not why he came. He came to restore our authority to make it good. You can't make it good by complaining. You cannot make it good by wishing it was over. We have got to put our hand to the plow and start producing some fruit. We've got to start doing some stuff. And doing stuff is not just doing outreach for the church. We've, we've gotten it all wrong. We've made change the world into events. Now there's nothing wrong with what we do. Because we can change the world by doing events. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not it. 
You work in your job to do something. You have your kids because God says there's something in you that can pull something out of them that no one else was designed to pull out. Am I just on a tangent? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I like that. The Lord's tangent. Amen. Stop taking too much time. They was like three days. And Amasa still, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? So Joab goes, he kills him. In verse 11, Joab's young men shouted to Amasa's troops, If you're for Joab and David, come and follow Joab. But Amasa lay in his blood in the middle of the road, and Joab's man saw that everyone was stopping to stare at him. I'd probably be doing the same thing. Oh, he, he did. So he pulled him off the road into a field and threw a cloak over him. With Amasa's body out of the way, everyone went on with Joab to capture Sheba, son of Bikri. Meanwhile, Sheba traveled through all the tribes of Israel and eventually came to the town of Abel Beth Makkah. All the members of his own clan, the Bikrites, assembled for battle and followed him into the town. Why did they throw a cloak over him? Because they were focused on the wrong thing, preventing them from moving forward in loyalty. You can't cover up what you've done because God still sees it. But the people could not move forward in unity seeing that betrayal. If we are going to be people that keep unity, you cannot just turn a blind eye. You've got to deal with it and not run away from it. He had to deal with it. He had to get the body out the way. Because when there's injustice, all we do is focus on the injustice. You know where the biggest problem of the church is? We focus on the wrong. We focus on injustice. And God's like, here's your directive. And we're like, well, there's the injustice. Well, Kyle, I thought we were supposed to fight injustice. Yeah, yeah, but you can't focus on that. You've got to focus on him. Why? Because you can't regard people by the flesh. And if you're not focused on him, all you're going to all they saw of Joab at that point is he murdered that man. You know what the truth is? Joab was the one that was going to lead them to get Sheba. I'm going to take my time because this has got to sink in. And if you're ready to go, I've got three more days. Think about what we do. God, unify the church. And all you do is talk about bad about Joel Osteen. You talk bad about how this church don't get it and how that church don't get it and how our church gets it. No, no, you, you obviously do not get it. Now, I'm not saying support false doctrine. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying to support those who are not following God. But my Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What is an unwholesome? Anything that's not keeping. Think about Jesus. He said the truth. They moved on. But what we do is we focus on that one thing that's wrong, and we can't move past it. 
And God's like, I've got something over here, and we're just. They couldn't move forward, so they took care of the deal. So they took care of the body, they covered it up. And once it was taken care of, the ones who were loyal to David were found, and they joined the task. How do we find those loyal to God? You stop focusing on the thing that was out of disloyalty. You keep focused on him, and he will reveal his true followers. Is this okay? So look at verse 15. When Joab's forces arrived, they attacked Abel Beth Micah, and they built a siege ramp against the town's fortifications. And they began battering down the wall. But a wise woman in the town called out to Joab, listen to me, Joab, come over here so I can talk to you. You don't like that when mama says that. <laughs> that wise woman, hey, you get over here, let me talk to you. As he approached the woman and asked, are you Joab? I am, he replied. So she said, listen carefully to your servant. I'm listening, he said. And then she continued, there used to be a saying, if you want to settle an argument, ask advice at the town of Abel. I am the one who is peace-loving and faithful in Israel. But you're destroying an important town in Israel. Why do you want to devour what belongs to the Lord? And Joab replied, Joab replied, believe me, I don't want to devour or destroy your town. That's not my purpose. All I want is a man named Sheba, son of Bichri, from the hill country of Ephraim, who has revolted against King David. If you hand over this one man to me, I'll leave the town in peace. All right, the woman replied. We'll throw his head over the wall to you. Women. <laughs> Verse 22. And then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, and they cut off Sheba's head and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the ram's horn and called his troops back from the attack. They returned to their homes, and Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. Notice that Joab did not want the city destroyed. He only wanted the betrayer removed from the city. What does that mean? God does not want you destroyed. God doesn't want his church destroyed. And God doesn't want relationships divided. And he doesn't want relationships destroyed. He wants one thing. He wants the, the head of the thing creating rebellion in your city. What is a city? Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. How do we keep unity? Cut off the thing in you that is giving birth to rebellion. Cut off the thing in you that is giving birth to rebellion. He does not want you destroyed. And if we're going to keep unity, we have got to stop trying to destroy people and focus on the fact that it's something inside of the person that's causing an action. But all we do is we batter people. We batter their walls. You're horrible. You're this. You're that. If the kids weren't in here, I'd use other words. You're filthy. You're this. You're this. 
you're a bad this, you're a horrible that. And God's like, whoa, whoa, stop destroying the city. There's just one little head in them that's wrong. There's one issue. Deal with the issue, not the walls. But what all the church does is we beat people down, and most of the time it's within the walls because the church has done a pretty good job of trying to reach those in need. But when it comes to the people in here, if someone does something wrong, we just... And then they leave, and you say, well, they must be led by Satan. No, they were led by you. You're a wall beater. Keep unity. Stop trying to destroy each other. And start realizing it's something internal. And after this rebellion's over, in verse 23 it says, Now Joab was the commander of the army of Israel, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. When God sees you, he sees the heart of a man. Why did Joab kill Amasa? Because Joab was in pursuit of unity. Now God isn't saying go kill people that aren't loyal. What he is saying, he's saying, seek me and I'll take care of your falls. Because Joab was, was in the pursuit of the right thing, being loyal to his king. And because he was loyal to his king, he did the wrong thing by murdering. But his sin of murder did not keep him from walking into his position when it was all over. And a lot of times we think that if we mess up, that means the rest of our life is over. And God's like, no, no, no. If you concern yourself with being loyal to me, you're going to mess up. That's not going to take away your destiny. Think about Peter. Dude denied Jesus three times and cut off a dude's ear out of anger, and he was the one that was picked to start the church. Joab killed Amasa. David used him. The Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans killed Jesus and he saved them. Love covers a multitude of sin. Covers, not excuses. It releases you of its penalty. You're still held accountable to it and you've still got to answer for it. But if God will do that to us, that is what we have got to start looking at each other as. And what people in church do is they come in the walls and say, well, you don't know my past. And what we need to start responding with was, I don't care what you did. I don't care how wrong you were. I'm regarding you as my father sees you. And I'm going to pull you into a better place. I'm not going to try to beat your walls. I'm here to repair them. I'm here to keep unity. And the last few verses... Joab was the commander of the army of Israel. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. Adoniram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Shiva was the court secretary. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, a descendant of Jair, was David's personal priest. Look at what happens as a result of a rebellion being destroyed. David's kingdom was built. But it wasn't on his abilities alone. 
It was the unity of the great team. They all had their part to play. Why is keeping unity such a big issue? Because it's what the kingdom of God will be built on. We pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God says, build my kingdom. Build my house. A proper house cannot be built on one man alone. And where we're going with this church, this cannot be a church where you come just to hear a word that's a little bit deeper than other places you might get one from. That's not the reason for this. And I, I say that in a very humble way because I hear from everybody. Why do you come to Relentless? Because the word's deeper and it's meat and not milk. Well, you know what the Bible says? It doesn't say go receive a word. It says go ye be doers of the word. Receiving a word will do nothing for your life. What is good? What good is meat? If you're not going to learn how to cook it and do something with it. This church cannot grow out of people coming to hear a deep word. The growth of this church is not going to be about thousands coming into a room. What do you mean when you say growth, Kyle? I'm talking about building the kingdom with each and every one of your gifts and abilities. Because every one of you have it. And I am determined to keep unity. To no longer allow you to go by the wayside and go out in the sphere and, and someone did this to you and someone did that and, and I'm offended by this. No, 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 no. I don't care what happened. I'm keeping unity and I'm looking at you and saying, you have got this and I want to see it come alive in Christ. You're not too far gone. You're not, your life's not over. You haven't sinned too much. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. Walk in it. I'm going to close with one passage if y'all want to stand. I hope this word has spoke to you. I know it's been it's been long, but I felt like I needed to get it out. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says this starting in verse 5. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for who? Everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Why did Jesus buy you one more year? To do what? Produce fruit. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sins. I want to pause right there and speak into you. If you're not producing, it's because you're blind to the truth that you've been forgiven of old sins. And you're living as a concubine who's still dirty. But you're not dirty. You're restored and you're clean in the eyes of Jesus. 
So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you'll never fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we would make every effort to be a people that live in such a way that we would keep unity, nothing would be able to stop us from seeing his kingdom come on this earth as is in heaven. So let's keep and guard what God has unified. Amen.